Welcome to Chemistry with a Purpose. This is the podcast where we talk about the science, research, and innovation that's affecting people's lives every day. From climate change to recycling, there's so much going on in chemical innovation that's making our society more sustainable, and we're going to get into it on this show. My name is Jackie McAllen. I'm a communications expert who works with scientists and innovative companies to help them tell their story. And I'm joined by my co-host, Birpi. Hello, I'm Virbi Tanepi. I'm part of Chemira's innovation team. And Chemira is a global chemistry provider. We are providing expert chemistry for uh, water in intensive industries, for example, wastewater treatment and pulp and paper industry. I am responsible also for Chemira's patents and trademarks. And I see IP as a way to collaborate with partners as enabler for driving new sustainable innovation. And speaking of collaboration, we have one of Chimera's partners joining us on the show today from the company Veolia. We have Matthias Staub. So thank you, Matthias, for joining us. We're looking forward to talking to you. Glad to be here. Thanks for welcoming us. This episode is about recovering phosphorus. What does that even mean? Let me break it down from a very basic level before we get into the topic. The food you eat contains nutrients, one of them, is phosphorus. And a lot of people don't think about it, but after you eat the food and then it goes through your system, it ends up in the toilet, there's still the phosphorus. Now, we have a choice as a society. We can waste this valuable nutrient, this fertilizer, or we can actually extract it from what the industry calls sludge, and then we can reuse it as fertilizer again. Why don't we just start with the first question that we have prepared for you by introducing Veolia for those who don't know the company. Yeah, Veolia is a quite big company. You may have heard of the merger with uh, Suez, which was a headline last year. And uh, Veolia operates on the five continents, water, waste, and energy services. And we have uh, around uh, 220,000 staff at the moment. And as we're talking about today, about water, we supply roughly 80 million people with drinking water and um, 60 million people with wastewater services around the world. And your background, even before this role, was in wastewater treatment or sludge in particular. Is that right? I came from, from actually from the waste business 15 years ago and then um, migrated to the water drinking water business, uh, water reuse and drinking water. And then I was appointed first here in, in this place, in this nice city of, of Leipzig, to develop the, the sludge business in Germany. We started very small and now we are the number two on the, on the sludge market in Germany. Now, since uh, 2018, I'm in charge of the, the whole business development and sales development for the water business. The, the topic of, of today's talk is the phosphorus recovery, but it's probably good to, to first set the ground by, by having a little summary of what is happening in the wastewater treatment and flood management. What do you do there? English is a perfect language to explain that. I cannot do it in, in French or in, in German because wastewater is the perfect explanation. Waste plus water, yeah? And so what we do basically is to remove the waste out of the water. And wastewater treatment plants, they keep our rivers and, and lakes clean. And um, they work in a different steps of, of removal. They remove uh, particles. They remove also nutrients and pathogens, micropollutants. So basically, it's a separation which bases on first step, which is more mechanical. So it's sedimentation usually. So we, we try to separate the bigger elements, bigger parts, and then we have 
of course, biological treatment or a chemical treatment added to that. So wh why do we do that? In general, nutrients are a very positive thing. We need them in fertilizers, for instance, but it gets uh, a problem if you have too many nutrients in the water, especially if you have also fish and other living animals and, uh, and also flora. So that's what we're doing with waste yeah. treatment plants. And for those who like figures, we eliminate more than 99% of the, the nutrients in general. Yeah, there are some studies also about microplastics. In general, the removal rate is very, very high with the newer technologies. Yeah, I guess everybody living around the Baltic Sea or, or visiting Baltic Sea in, mm. in the summertime can understand why it would be important to, to uh, make sure that the nutrients are not ending up to the sea. Actually, for those of us who don't live near the Baltic Sea, can you explain a little bit what you're talking about? Sure. As, as I guess we're talking about phosphorus today, so I will focus on phosphorus, but it's also true for other nutrients. But phosphorus is a positive thing first. We have a lot of phosphorus in our body and it's a, it's a very important element, sorry, element. For instance, the European Commission also said that it's one of the 20 most critical elements. It's non-substitutable, so you cannot substitute it, and it has a high economic importance for us. So it's, it's a positive thing. But if there is too much phosphorus in water, it fosters algal bloom, what we call eutrophication, which means in the end that you have also less oxygen, diffuse oxygen in the water. And in the end, it can be deadly for, especially for fish. So that's why we need to remove it. In Europe, we have a high removal of phosphorus from the wastewater since the, let's say, 90, 1990s. And due to that, we have a better quality of surface water at the moment than we used to. So phosphorus is positive, but shouldn't be in the rivers. And if I'm imagining this, that's sort of when you see those huge areas of green and just algae covering everything. Is that correct? That's exactly that. Yeah. And because we all know that we uh, will have to face, or we are already facing climate change, it's important to know that uh, the, the temperature of surface water increases. This uh, eutrophication can be even fostered. And uh, so it means even less oxygen in the water. So, of course, for, for fish, it can be deadly even, even earlier than it used to be. So we really need, in the future, a higher removal of phosphorus for surface water. Can you explain how how the phosphorus is uh, removed from wastewater? How do we make sure it's not ending up to the river? We can remove phosphorus either chemically, so I'm not a chemist, but you can precipitate selectively phosphorus using salts. For instance, iron chloride, I think we'll talk about it. So this is, let's say, a chemical reaction you're doing in a basin, which is quite, let's say, easy to control. You have a certain concentration of, of salts, or you can remove phosphorus also biologically, uh, by using natural bacteria. And uh, you have then some cycles of oxygen depletion and uh, oxygen supply. So put them into stress, and then they work and eliminate phosphorus. And in both cases, either if you do it chemically or, or biologically, you will uh, in the end get the phosphorus in the sludge, which is what we get at the end of the wastewater plants when, when we have separated water from the, the residues. And what is then happening with the sludge? When we're talking about sludge management, there are some, some, still some big differences, I think, whether you're talking about, so let's say, Europe or US or the rest maybe of the world. We started also in, in Europe by only disposing it, putting on the sludge in, in landfills or also 
for agricultural use, which might also be useful because you can use the nutrients. But the problem is sludge is also containing some other particles, residues of pharmaceuticals or microplastics. So sludge at the moment in um, most of the northern countries, let's say, and uh, even in Europe, there is a difference between the north and the south regarding sludge management. In the north, including Germany, we uh, process it through incineration. We dispose the ash. In um, Central South Europe, it's still quite well used in agriculture. And I'm not saying it's, it's wrong. You can use sludge in agriculture, but you have to take care also of the potential threats of the pharmaceuticals, especially. And well, microplastics is also a very known topic. We don't want to have that in our plate. Can you tell us a bit about the new ways of extracting phosphorus? Once we have removed the phosphorus from, from the wastewater, as I said, it's usually the sludge. It can be also in a, a small part of it is may still be in the water, but the goal is actually to remove it. So you have it in a sludge and then you can either get it out of the sludge directly or, or you say, okay, let's go to an incinerator, dedicated sludge incinerator. So where only sewage sludge is processed and then you can burn it. And phosphorus is uh, one of the elements which stays in the ash. So it's not getting uh, into gas, it's still there. Then you have a concentrate, let's say a concentrate of mostly metals, heavy metals also, and phosphorus, and then you can extract it from there. Usually using a chemical way, strong acids, then you can leach it out and recover it then from, from the liquid phase again. So this, this is one of the possibilities. At the moment, it's not really used at a full scale, but at least if you look at the European Union, especially uh, countries like Germany, uh, Austria, Switzerland, it's getting compulsory in the next years. So we will have to recover phosphorus. And that, that was the first way. I said, yeah, you can, you can get it out of the ash. The other way was to get it out of the sludge. And maybe we should take a little moment to talk about this because I think that's what the collaboration between the Ulian Kimura is all about. Love that idea. Let's get into it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so Chemira is, is a global chemicals company providing chemistries for water-intensive industries. And, and one of our big customer segments are municipal wastewater treatment plants. And today we are talking about that business. And so that's the most important Today, our other customer segments are pulp and paper, for example, and, and again, water-intensive industry. With Veolia, we have been collaborating with a new technology called Vivimat, and perhaps, Matthias, you can explain a little bit more about that collaboration and, and what the Vivimat is about. I would start a little bit earlier to, to explain why, why we entered this, this business also of removing, uh, removing phosphorus and sure, because of legislation. And because we, we look at what is, what, what will be the future of wastewater treatment plant and the future of wastewater treatment plant is we all have in our DNA, the, the operator gene. So the perspective was really operating. Every wastewater treatment plant operator knows that he sometimes has problems with scaling in his pipes. And most of the cases, it involves phosphorus. That was actually the first idea. It was not to, not only developing business, but it was really, we had a problem. We had, had an operating problem with scaling of Truvite or Vivinite, right, more in the pipes and Vivinite more sometimes in the, the digesters, but scaling of phosphorus occurs naturally. And that was the point where we started in the early 2000s to work on having this, say, precipitation, which naturally occurs, 
control in, in, in one place of the wastewater treatment plant. And this was how we got to what we called Truvia, which is a small compact reactor where you can do a struvite uh, precipitation. Then came, of course, the, the thing, whoa, okay, legislation is evolving. Now you're not only doing it because as an operator, it's cool. You're also doing it because some countries, because of political reasons or environmental reasons, you want uh, to recover phosphorus. And we needed a higher recovery rate because what we did with Struvia was like a recovery rate of 20%, the phosphorus maybe of 30%. It was really the operator perspective to stopping having this problem with scaling. And so we developed the, the Phosphorus project, which was already in Germany in this uh, nice plant of Schönebeck, um, where, where we now have also this uh, pilot plant with Chimera. And um, it was, to be honest, quite complicated. We had to lower the pH, very, very, very low pH in the end. So it, it seemed to work, but we saw that it's a quite complicated thing. And it works when we have a biological P elimination on the wastewater treatment plant, but it didn't really work when we had chemical precipitation of P in the treatment plant. For the non-experts out there, P stands for phosphorus in this case. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No worries. And that's the point where, where Chimera came, came to my office and told me, hey, I've got a very nice idea. We'll put a lot of salts in a wastewater and then have a big magnet and take it out and I was like, okay, sounds possible, but really full scale? Are you kidding? Putting a magnet on wastewater? Okay. I've heard a lot of things in the last 10 years, but this was new. But the principle is as, as, as easy as I tell you. And, and, and I think that's also the key point of this technology is that it is simple and it is plug and play. You don't need to, let's say, build a lot of concrete basins, put a lot of new pumps, whatever. You put a container which has this magnet separation and you just, let's say, take a little more iron chloride for the dosing and it works. The first results we have show that it really works. In full scale, we have 80% removal at the moment. So nice story, I think. Yeah, and, and from the Gemira point of view, this, this has been a, a nice journey. We have been part of a consortium that has been a Dutch uh, research center working on, on the case and, and we have been partnering with, with them and, and now this brilliant technology came out and, and we are so happy to be now running the, the trials and taking it really into the use. It was crazy for us. I shouldn't tell that, but I mean, it was incredibly fast, the development, the implementation of the plant. And I'm not telling we are not fast, but we are a big company. The development from the first idea to having the container on site and running the pumps and it seems to work. I think we had something like six months, of course, the development at Chimera was a little bit earlier. So you didn't came up just with the idea. You already had something to deliver. But I think that's, that's, that was a very, very nice side effect that it was that fast and, and really working plug and play. And now we have two, two of, I think two months of operation looks, looks very promising. Yeah, for anyone who's worked in a big company in the area of innovation, so you can say six months is, that's, Lightning fast. That's really cool to hear. Yeah, I, I was wondering what what do you think is is the kind of biggest difference or biggest advantage of Vivimat compared to traditional way of, of recovering phosphorus? Regarding the advantages, let's say it's plug and play. It's quite fast to install it. The recovery is quite high, but it's not as high as when you do it from the ash. If you look at life cycle assessment, 
of, of the treatment train. Performance will be quite good. There are some other negative effects of uh, burning sludge in a sludge dedicated incinerators like greenhouse gas production. And I'm not talking about CO2, but I'm talking about nitrox, nitrous oxides, N2O especially. So this is exactly what we need to check right now. We'll check it in, um, in the next year, whether all the things we believe are in practice are true, but I'm quite confident about it. How is the phosphorus in the end delivered to the farmer at the end of the Vivimag process? And are there pros and cons? Is it different than when you're delivering phosphorus that was through ash and incineration? In general, phosphorus recovered after incineration process is not very usable for plants. It means you need, you need an extensive treatment of the phosphorus before it can be used by plants again. It's because of the combustion of, of sludge, so it really changes a lot of properties. So let's say the, the first answer would be to compare it to the ash that it's always better to recover it from the sludge than recovering it after incineration from, from the ash. But as I said, this is one of the aspects. There are some other aspects like how much you recover and you can recover more from the ash. That's, that's, that's clear. In this case, and I think in most of the pea recovery, phosphorus recovery processes, they target recovering it in agriculture because the agricultural sector is one of the biggest demand sector for phosphorus. And as we have ex some experience with struvite, struvite is, is a quite nice experience because we, we even had farmers, even organic farming, sees this secondary phosphorus fertilizer very positively. Regarding vivinite, so vivinite is what we produce when we have this crazy thing with the magnet. It's a very nice mineral. It looks like mostly green, yeah, green or green, gray, depending whether it's oxidized or not. Vivinite is a hydrated iron phosphate mineral. So Iron is, is trapped with, with phosphorus. You, you can actually use it directly. That's what we try to do. It depends a little bit, of course, how, how much phosphorus you, you have. Usually when you fertilize, you don't need only phosphorus. You need other materials like nitrogen, especially. So at the moment, we are working on finding the, the ideal recipe we could have for the fertilizer. And sure, there are some uh, questions we cannot answer yet because secondary phosphorus is not used at the moment at a full scale. There have been some, some pilot plans and I know that struvite is being used already, but the idea is really to get the, to close the loop as, as, as fast as possible, which means locally and directly to the farmers as, as fast as possible. So what kind of things do you think will happen in the future? I don't know, let's say in next 10 years or so, how does this technology evolve? There is at the moment no real completely closed loop when you look at phosphorus. But I would say in 10 years, the loop will be closed. Anyway, we need to close it in Germany, for instance, and in Switzerland too, and in Austria too. So at that time, we need to recover phosphorus. Technologies are, are emerging and we, we have seen the first large-scale plants. One, one big question, and, and that's probably also a role of, of politics, is how do you prepare the market to get these secondary products being used? In Europe, at least, we know what is gasoline with E5 or E10. You know that that means you have 5% or 10% of the fuel, which comes from regenerative sources or renewable sources. I guess this model could be used for phosphorus that you tell the big companies dealing with fertilizers, okay, you can sell your product in Europe, but you need to take some percent 
of secondary phosphorus, not phosphorus coming from Russia or Morocco. This is maybe lacking at the moment. A lot of people do recover phosphorus, but then they recover it, and they don't use it. So they have a nice pile of phosphorus or they could, they could uh, use it, but last, the last thing is, is missing. This will be definitely the challenge in the next year. And I'm very confident about it that in 10 years, we will be able to close the loop, but we will have already closed the loop. The last question for you is part of what we hope will be a re recurring segment on this show. And since the show is about chemistry, chemistry with a purpose, tell us what do you think, in your opinion, your personal opinion, is the greatest chemical innovation of all time? As I have the en environmentalist glasses, one of the, the biggest innovations is the synthesis of uh, carbamide, which is known as urea also. We, we produce it in, in our kidneys. It's also produced from ammonia and carbon dioxide. And I have to say, I, I had to Google it, but I found it very interesting. It was discovered now three centuries ago. It took one, one century to synthesize it. And it's a very important chemical. It's also, because we talked today about phosphorus, it's also very important for the fertilizer industry, because as I said, nitrogen is actually even more, more important for, for agriculture than, than phosphorus. But it has also a lot of, of other applications. And for us, especially related now to the, the dramatic war in, in Ukraine, we had some issues because it was difficult to get urea for waste incineration flue gas treatment and also sludge incineration flue gas treatment. And that was a big issue because if we don't have this chemical, we cannot operate the plants. So I think that's fantastic about chemistry. It's that everything is somehow linked can be used in, in so many different applications from urea is also dermatologic product. It's uh, using creams and bakeries. I, I, I discovered it's used by bakeries to brown pretzels. And I live in Germany, but I didn't know that. I find this urea thing very, very nice also because I, I got familiar with it last summer when I treated my fruit tree. It had some disease and, and urea was very effective against even that disease and, yeah. and serve for nutritive purposes at the same time. So it is really a fascinating chemical. So Matthias, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been fantastic having you talking about phosphorus recovery, where Veolia has been in the past, where you see this going in the future. So thanks for joining the show. My pleasure. <laughs>